Welcome everyone to On the Air with the IWFFA. This is your May 2021 radio show and I'm one of the hosts, co-hosts, Diane Berylson and MJ, who is one of our regulars. She actually will be heading the IWFFA On the Air in Spanish version. So good luck, MJ, with the Spanish show and we look forward to it. But I want to invite, we have our regular Miss Raina and Kim Wilson. So Kim Wilson, would you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Sure, sure. So just real briefly, because I don't want to take up time, but I started flag football back in 1997, believe it or not. Actually, it was 1996. And, you know, after my first son was born, I couldn't wait to get back on the field. <laughs> and it was at that time that I ran into the Ladies League, roughly right around 1997, 1998. And I really started playing, you know, ladies team from 1998 to about 2003, roughly. So I really love the sport to this day and really you know, love what the IWFFA has done for a lot of women. And I happened to find my DMV All-Stars. Yeah, it's been a, I was cleaning up and I, you know, I found this. Too bad this wasn't a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that's just a bit about me. And I actually kept playing and my second son was born in 2001 and I played more of the football. Still love it and love being involved with the IWFFA. Wonderful. And Miss Raina, welcome Kim to the show. And Miss Raina, how have you been? Hello, Diane. And hello, Kim. Welcome to the show. Welcome to being a host with us. Thank you. So what was your question? I'm already losing it. Look, it's already the start and I'm already losing it. What did you ask me? <laughs> Well, I was asking how you've been. How have you been recently, Miss Raina? I'm doing pretty well right now. You know, obviously we got that health issue going on and we're working on it and everything. But overall, everything's good. You know, just a little bored sitting at home a lot, you know, not being able yeah. to do too much. The TV gets old. It sounds like, hey, let's just sit down and watch TV sometimes. But it gets old after a while. Okay, very good. So now we have changed the format of the show slightly. And we're going to bring on current events in women's sports. And Miss Raina, that was your home. Homework. What do you have to share with us? I am excited about this. And why am I excited? Because softball is back into the Olympics. And I'm so excited about that because in 2008, the Olympic Committee said, you guys are out of here. And it was so disheartening hearing that. And, and the reason for that, because I know a lot of people maybe not follow it or they're not aware of what happened was the U.S. Olympic team was basically the best in the world for the longest time. And we yeah. never lost. And it it wasn't not so much that we never lost, but the teams, there was no competition. And it was always us versus Japan in the World Series, in the championship. Uh, like, I'm going into the World Series already. Into the championship and everything. And finally, at the end, they said, you know what? Since teams would show up and just get slaughtered by the United States. And finally, after so many years, the last year that they said that they were going to say that softball is done in the Olympics, the U.S. actually took silver. They actually lost in the last game, in the last ending to Japan by one run. And we've been fighting really hard to get softball back in because, you know, hey, softball is a great sport and everything. But finally, this year, now the Olympics has given the go for the United States and all the other softball teams all over the world to play. Excellent. That's Well, that's nice to hear for all the softball players. By the way, softball players seeded our women's flag football in the 90s, in the 70s, 80s. So we love softball. Kim, Miss Kim, you were going to bring up some questions for 
for us. Yeah. One of the questions I wanted to ask you about, this whole COVID thing has really thrown folks off. So I wanted to ask you about some of the leagues that are in other countries. I'm always intrigued about that and how they're doing and how the tournaments are coming along as well. The COVID has affected everybody and the regular leagues are not playing. There's a league in Guatemala that happens to be playing. El Salvador is starting to practice and Honduras is not playing. Scandinavia is on lockdown still. People are just starting to get their vaccinations. Egypt is, well, Egypt actually must be practicing. They want to come to our P-Town tournament in September. I, I imagine that means that they're practicing. We were supposed to have our promotional tour this year, Sierra Leone, Africa, in Pakistan, they're not going to take place. I was hoping that things would change up by June, July, but uh, it's not looking that way. You know, we were supposed to travel to, to those two countries last year. I've got all that equipment at my house. I had to build a storage unit just for just wow. for those two countries' equipment. United States, we didn't have the official Kelly McGillis Classic 30th in Key West, Florida. That was January, and we were not allowed to host anyone outside of Monroe County. We had only local teams playing, but we played. We had to have masks on. But now, if you got your vaccination, you don't have to wear your mask. Right. You can walk around maskless. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know what? We could have fun with that term, I think, maskless. Yeah, I did, I did okay. kind of think some things. <laughs> that was a good question. I did want to share my update. I wanted people to know that universities, colleges are now giving full scholarships for women's flag football. The University of Fort Lauderdale is going to host their tryouts for their women's flag football team. Very first, Venetia Lee is the head coach for the University of Fort Lauderdale women's flag football team. And that's this Saturday, May 22nd in Fort Lauderdale. That's Florida. And just parents to to know that your daughter's playing flag football, they can get a scholarship for flag football. I also wanted to share that we have some tournaments coming up July 10th and 11th. That's going to be in New Orleans. That's going to be a nice tournament. We already have six teams signed up. We like to have eight teams for our tournaments. Then it's two brackets of four teams. Round robin, give everybody three games. Try to bring everybody into the playoffs. It depends if we have one or two fields. We also have a, our tournament, our 15th annual P-Town. IWFA P-Town Classic. That's September 17th to the 20th. Egypt is coming. That's exciting. First time we have, well, we've had players from Norway. We've had teams from Canada. We never had a team from Egypt travel to that tournament. So that's September 17th to the 20th. Anyone is welcome to join us either as a loose woman, an individual player, and we'll put you on the loose women's team with all the other individual loose players yeah. and or as a team. You've been a loose. Yes, Kim, you have, you have been a loose been woman a loose before. Woman once a loose woman, always a loose woman. Right. Miss Raina, were you a, uh, were you were you officially uh, registered for a loose women's team? No, I I haven't. I've always been part of my uh, first order. But didn't you join the loose women's team in one of the tournaments? Mm, that's a no. I guess maybe. not. I, I don't I'm think surprised. So. I don't think so. You know, I mean, my memory's really bad right now, so maybe. So. Okay. No, I trust your memory right now. I I'm not sure if I remember you registered for a loose women's team, but during the tournament play, should that loose women's team run below eight players? Got to have eight players to play. The loose women's team is allowed to borrow players from the other competing teams in the tournament. 
So the loose women, they'll approach some of the best athletes in that tournament and they, they want to play some more. Sure, why not? So that's really nice. Okay, listen, ladies, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Michelle Crone. We're going to talk about next year's IWFFA Flag Football Festival in just a few minutes. Want to start your own team or league? Would you like to learn how to officiate flag football? How about offering a player's clinic in your hometown to learn how to play flag football? The IWFFA does just that. We have traveled across the United States and around the world since 1995, introducing the sport in some countries, creating new teams and leagues in others, and the IWFFA can help you. Just send an email to IWFFA at IWFFA.com. And we're back. And I'm with Miss Raina, our philosopher, and Miss Kim Wilson. I myself, I'm Diane Barrelson. And we have something that's really special we're doing for the first time next year. You know, by the way, I think I think we're pretty good at doing firsts. We, we're, we're pretty creative, our organization. We're going to have a flag football festival in El Salvador. And our listeners may wonder, what is a flag football festival, right? It's going to piggyback off of the women's festivals that were had in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where you're going to hear a great interview from Michelle Crone. Michelle has produced over 50 festivals, very knowledgeable. She was one of the first women to participate in the Michigan Women's Festival. Michigan Women's Festival had at one time 8,000 women. Clothing optional. That was in Michigan. Kim, why are you laughing? Wow. Wow. yeah. Well, it's interesting. In the interview, we didn't really get into clothing optional, but I had attended these music festivals, not like football festivals. And we held at a variety of women gatherings, Virginia Rhythm Fest, Michigan Fest, like football, and met a lot of women around the country, around the world. So the idea about clothing optional is that we're so used to wearing clothing. And when you are in a safe place, like a woman's land, we say, okay. When you take the clothing off, you don't have to be completely butt naked. You could go topless if you want or take it all off. But you are shedding society's restrictions. And we are influenced and we don't realize where we get our ideas and opinions from. So it's pretty revolutionary. It's what's the word I'm thinking about, Miss Raina? Describing why the sensation someone would feel to take their clothes off in a safe gathering. Well, it's very freeing. You know, it. It, it expands who you are as a person because it makes you self-actualized. It makes you realize things about yourself and the way society kind of conditions us to certain ideas as women and, and just judgments we have. And I think you we've talked about this before. Even you mentioned it in, in the interview that sometimes we judge one another based on our size or our looks or whatever because society told us that, hey, unless you fit this perfect model, you know, this then, then you know, we're going to make fun of you but I think that's what it really is what you're looking for is that freedom it really brings to without any further ado let's listen to the interview and then we'll come back and make our comments years ago I got into the women festivals which was phenomenal and mostly I think that they existed because of lesbians a lot of lesbians because we were ostracized it was criminal and then through the years women's festivals almost disappeared so Michelle Crone 
tell us about you in the early years. Let us, share, please share the history of the women's festivals, what you remember to enlighten us, please. Yeah, sure. Um, I have, one time I counted it up, I have been a part of producing festivals, primarily women's festivals, but also other large festivals around um, environmental stuff, around political anti-nuke, and I've done over 50 festivals. And it did start out, uh, my involvement anyways, was um, with going to Michigan in the very early days. We, a group of us, um, went out to the Lakota Black Hills gathering that they called right after Three Mile Island happened, and it blew us away. So on the way back, we had heard about this Michigan festival, and we ended up going there before it started. And I was a part of getting together what was called then the Witch's Kitchen, and it was just an empty uh, acres of land that was rented, and we put together a kitchen you know, digging holes and putting in hay and ice for refrigeration that that I went. It progressed from there. And at the height of that festival, there were about 8,000 women who came to it. It then dropped down. A lot of politics were involved. But it started out as a group of women from Michigan doing it. And uh, it just drew women from all over the country because, yes, as you mentioned earlier, there was really not a lot of safe spaces for lesbians to gather. And it also was a way of building a community and bringing in more skills. I mean, women would show up who were carpenters and would teach other women how to do carpentry or were firefighters and would teach women how to do um, things uh, to the land in, in a good way. Uh, I myself started a thing called rumor control that took in rumors or gave out accurate information, et cetera. And I also ran all the workers' meetings in the morning and then again at night. And we did things collectively, which was, you know, kind of difficult getting hundreds of women to reach consensus about issues, et cetera. But basically, we were building a community and everything that existed in a community from security to medical, mental health, entertainment, building stages, putting together uh, ways for people with disability um, to be able to be on the land, et cetera. So we also then had to contend with the officials off the land getting permits to do certain things. And um, that was in Michigan. And then it happened again in California, in Florida. Uh, the festival that I started with for other women happened in the Deep South because it needed to exist in the South because there was nothing for especially lesbians, you know, in terms of safety to gather and, um, you know, build community, et cetera. And we did workshops. We did workshops on disability, on racism, on politics, on finance, on everything. So uh, that is why these festivals were of the utmost importance, because it nourished women and it, it made it okay for women to be who they were. And it gave women skills so that it built their confidence. 
And uh, from there, women would go back to their communities where they lived and continue in that kind of sensibility. And most of the marches on Washington in 79, 87, 90 through three, they were they were pretty much the leadership came from what women learned from being together in festivals. So it really added to the movements that then, you know, made politics um, make changes to where now, I mean, we're very visible as, as lesbians. Women are very much more confident and involved in who they are and what they do. So anytime women gather doing anything, be it flag football, be it festivals, whatever is vitally important on this planet, especially now when we're seeing such splits with the far right and and, uh, everything. So I totally applaud your effort to combine the realities of festival construction. We were all from music festivals. That's where we learned the skills of doing uh, negotiation with the authorities, getting permits for building, actually building, etc. Because when you go on a flat piece of land, there's so much to have to think about. You know, how do you feed people? Where do you park cars? What kind of housing can you build or provide? What kind of medical needs would would you have to have in place in order to deal with uh, a whole array of uh, necessities? We built showers out of having barrels. We would paint the barrels black um, to absorb heat. And uh, we put build a frame. We filled those up with water off the land and brought it in and then hoisted up onto a frame that women had built to hold the barrels and hooked up piping or hoses to it. And, you know, the sun would heat it and that would be never really hot, but at least warm enough to do a shower. We would dig big, big fire pits and put grates in there and build fire with wood. I mean, women became expert at how to cook over huge fire pits kind of thing. And that would be your, your kitchen. And like I referenced before, we would build these, these holes and put layers of hay and ice on it. And that would be our refrigeration. We'd have to figure out parking. We would get a whole bunch of rugs and turn them over. So people in wheelchairs could uh, actually wheel, you know, onto to the ground. Uh, we built stages. We built towers for the sound and the, the lighting crews. So when you're mapping out how you want to do your festival, you know, you you really need to start thinking about the bare minimum. I mean, there's just a lot to put together when you're building a village. Sometimes just in within weeks and four you know, anywhere from four days to two months or whatever. It's intense, along with your flag football concept. I think it's a great idea, and I think it will go far. Next year, we're going to have our first flag football festival in El Salvador. The reason why I want to do this for the International Women's Flag Football Association is because we are a women's organization. We use flag football to teach leadership skills. I mean, truly and sincerely. 
And so, and me being the president, the founder, you know, my, my experiences influences my actions. When it, I got involved with the women's festivals in the mid nineties, I remember the first time I went to, I think it was Michigan. My first experience, I was going there as a worker. So I got there early on the land and uh, woman's land. And I remember seeing a really heavy woman, heavy, no clothes. And I thought to my, and I thought to myself, oh my God, uh, she should put clothes on. And then I, the, then I thought, where did I get that idea from? And mm. that was a profound moment because who am I to judge anybody's body? And it wasn't about um, beauty. It wasn't about um, having a a gorgeous um, uh, a shape and the. What I learned is that our bodies are beautiful and I got, and it was society's um, influence on me. And these festivals had start to shed these um, subliminal messages that I didn't realize I was constrained to. What I remember is the women's spirituality. It's hard to describe mm -hmm. when it's women only. And that was crucial. If there were men involved, if there were men there, you wouldn't have the freedom to really tap into the feminine spirit. That was just amazing. It really was empowering. And then also we should explain, it, it was it, a lot of tense workshops included uh, women's empowerment, support. There were for women, um, AA, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and Narcotics Anonymous. There was oh, yeah. uh, sexually abused. I mean, there was witch there was anything a woman wanted to present. She would ask the festival, I'd like to have a workshop. I did, uh, we did uh, for some years, the flag football. There was no flag football field, but we were down by the parking lot. It also happened to be close by that other section. What was that loud uh, S&M section? What did they call the S&M section? Yeah, SM we made a mistake one time putting the S&M section next to the crystal healing workshop <laughs> because that was like 24 7 action over in that area michelle crone thank you for joining us and we're back so kim what did you think about that interview with michelle crone well I, mean, I thought it was very interesting when she talked about when the the festival had started but what what actually what resonated with me was the communal help that each of the women provided to each other she talked about how they had different trades and different backgrounds and so they were able to kind of teach one another and so i'm always interested when i see that from my perspective i look at it from a gender culture type of way cultures have ways of doing things but sometimes some culture not work as well together as they can. And I, I think what resonated with me was just having the gender and the women who was from very diverse skill trades were able to kind of help other women learn and grow based upon what they do. And that, that was one of the things that really resonated with me. I really love that. Kim, have you ever been to a woman's festival? I have not. Miss Raina, have you? 
Yes, I have. What festivals have you been to? I've been to so many different types of festivals. Burning Man, FPG okay. festivals, stuff up north. South, like I, I've been around the block. And, and, and just, you know, it's it's funny because I, I agree with Kim 100%. You know, hearing hearing Michelle in, in yours interview, it just reminds you how much has gone through and how much people have gone through and how much change has happened, but where it all starts from. I, I found what was fascinating about that that was like everybody had to learn how to build their own showers and learn how to cook. <laughs> and, and I'm a I'm a terrible cook, let me tell you. So you don't want me cooking. I'll build your showers and everything. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think the most important thing about what I love about women's festival, minus the clothing thing that that doesn't bother me, but is the safe space. And when you guys were talking about that, it just kind of brought this this very homey feeling to it, where you know what? Hey, I can go there. I can be myself and I could have a good time regardless and I'm safe. Also, what I like about participating in these festivals is working together to achieve something together. It's not like I'm going somewhere on my own. Here I am with a group of people and we have a task to do. And in preparation, like building the showers or cooking the food. And by the way, Michigan Fest, you know how they made their coleslaw? They made it in a, a huge plastic swimming pool that was, I don't know what unit of measurement you would use bigger than gallons, but it was huge and interesting. But creating something, creating something together. So we're going to host it in El Salvador next year during Easter. And you can have your clothes on. I just think that's an interesting point to make. But we're going to focus on the flag football positions. There will be 10 for women's support groups, women's drumming, women's poetry, in the evening, women's music, and then we'll have some competitions. We'll have the training for each position during the week, and then on the weekend will be our competition. And so athletic women, non-athletic women, it'll be quite an experience. You bring your own tent. We'll make the food for you. There's going to be a food line. That's nice too. When you're online waiting for food, whoever's in front of you or behind you probably will be a friend for life. You know, you get into these conversations. <laughs> Well, it's just, it is the atmosphere. It is how many places can we go that we feel so comfortable, so trusting, you know what I mean? But the, the reason why we're doing this, the IWFFA is in America, we kind of have a disadvantage. You know, everybody can see tackle football on the weekends, in the fall, in the summertime, schools have tackle teams. And so that's what we see, the tackle version of this game. We are the flag football version of the game. We are women. So, you know, the boys and the men, they have their nature. We have our nature and we don't have to hit them hard or take them out to play a real good competitive flag football game. Having these flag football festivals, it's going to nurture the female spirit. We're going to play good quality flag football, but with a different nature. You know, there's going to be more finesse and strategy. And hopefully we're going to show our female athletes a different way of playing on the flag football field. In other countries, we don't have that great challenge. The countries that we go to, like Asia, they don't have football. Afghanistan <laughs> was not going to have an American sport known in their country. Yeah. So these countries that don't have any reference or influence by tackle football, those are the ones who play a very interesting flag football style. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show after these messages. IWFFA is for 
girls, juniors, women of all ages, teens, and loose women. We welcome all levels of play, whether you're a novice or the best of the best. It's all about uniting under one umbrella female flag football all over the world. Women should rule their own sports, and we do. So join us today and experience the excitement. Female flag football at its best. We're back. We're here with Diane and Miss Raina, and Miss Raina's gonna take it away for us. All right, I'm gonna take it away. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I'm I'm about to divulge one of my little secrets, and you know, this is big for me because you guys know I'm, I'm big on my secrets. And if anybody doesn't understand that I have several degrees in alternative medicine and, and oriental medicine, so I am a big time nut when it comes to health and studies and all sorts of things. And one of the things that I learned a long time. Ago is everything that we know about hydration is completely wrong. And I know people are going to be like, what? What do you mean completely wrong? Like, like what, what do you mean? Because as an athlete, some of the fundamental rules of, of being an athlete, or if you do any physical activities, is to make sure that your body is adequately hydrated. And hydration is so important when it comes to the idea of athletics or working out or anything, or even just, just going for walks or on a daily basis, that companies actually spend billions of dollars a year to market the importance of hydration. We see it in so many energy drinks, so many different types of hydration drinks. I mean, you get you get shelves of, of water now. Before in the 80s, when I was growing up, I, I don't think there was really much bottled water, if any. And uh, now there's just water everywhere because it's so important. And living down here in Miami, we realized that teams actually use heat, like the Miami Dolphins use the, actual, their, the heat to to dehydrate their opponents because this creates fatigue. It drains <laughs> this strategy. It, it does. It really is, Kim. And, and that's the great thing is if you ever watch them, uh, the Dolphins, they bring some team from the north and they're in the shade and they and they have they structure the stadium so that the heat gets to them. And it's really amazing how this is. But the thing that I notice is that we've been taught that hydration, uh, what we've been taught, I should say, about hydration isn't t entirely true. Because in order for the body we, to perform at its optimal level, we need things like water, electrolytes lights and nutrients that usually come from food or supplementations, which most athletes do. And, you know, we as athletes, the more you expend, the more you have to consume of these amounts of nutrients. And for those of you who don't know what electrolytes are, electrolytes are essential minerals that have an electric charge, and they help your body perform critical functions. They help your body balance fluids, they help muscle contraction, they even help things as such as neurological functions. And one of the things that a lot of people do is they just go buy any water. Well, I'm going to tell you guys right now, don't buy the cheap water because the cheap water comes from just a tap. Most of the time, they just turn on the faucet. They filter it very, very cheaply, if at all. And a lot of that cheap bottled water has contaminants in it, such as heavy metals and runoffs and pesticides and all sorts of different things. And they usually contain little to no electrolytes. So you're really not doing anything. Some of the more expensive waters have electrolytes added to them for taste and other things, but 
this still isn't getting it done. So what do we do when we're working out? Because if water's not hydrating our body, what is it we're going to do? Well, the million dollar question is, is how do we hydrate our body? And the answer is H3O2. And you're probably thinking like, Miss Raina, what, 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 what the heck is H3O2? Well, H3O2 is gel water. It's water with an extra hydrant and uh, an oxygen uh, molecule. And what ends up happening is this forms through fruits and vegetables. And this can only be done through fruit and vegetables. They're trying to make systems now that actually produce H3O2, but it's not the same because you guys know nature is its best. And this is a very essential part of us as humans, as our human body, in order for us, because in order for hydrogen, oxygen, and all these different things to go through our body, we need to be able to make sure that we have the supply it does. And so water does not do this. Water does serve as a function, if you guys aren't aware of it, is it does carry nutrients and oxygen to our cells. But in order to feed ourselves, we need H3O2. So if you ever look at somebody who does a lot of juicing, who does, who eats healthy and who takes care of themselves, not just going to the gym, I'm talking about lifestyle wise, they look and feel younger, their body performs more because their body is charged. And so like I said, that H3O2 comes from plants, fruits, vegetables mostly, and it's like this gel like substance. If you ever juice, if you ever take a lemon and juice and you kind of see that gel or you bite into an orange and, and it's it's wet, but it's, it's a little juicier, it's a little thicker, that is H3O2. And the great thing about H3O2 is it interacts intracellular. And so what does that mean? It interacts within the cell. And this is important because the only way you can consume this is by eating fruits and vegetables. This is why it is so important about lifestyle. And so you have to be able to think, think of, if you want to think of one thing, think of your body and your cells as batteries. Think of your cells as batteries. And in order for, just like a battery for your phone or anything, it has to be constantly recharged. And in order for you to charge your body, you need nutrients. In order for those nutrients to get in there, you need H3O2. Water is not capable of doing it. Most water that you consume is going to be flushed right out. One of the things that I used to do when I was younger, or I mean, even still today, when all the softball tournaments, all the football, is the more tired that pe people always notice that the, the longer the games went on, the longer the competition, the, the more tired people became and the stronger I became. And everybody kept asking me, Miss Reina, what are you doing? Like, like, what are you doing that's changing, that, that makes you get stronger as it, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, you see the mm -hmm. sweat dripping and they're, they're hanging their heads. And I would never really say anything, but the answer was simple. I was consuming large amounts of fruits and vegetables during the games. And it, what was funny was everybody used to call me the, uh, the Whole Foods bag lady because you'd see me coming <laughs> to a tournament <laughs> and and you'd see like my softball stuff or my football but then you'd see all these bags of whole food stuff and everybody was like what is going on and these bags were filled with food juices purees anything that produced massive amounts of h3o2 and they didn't understand that while i was playing i was constantly consuming apple juice and orange juice and purees and, and eating bananas and constantly because i was producing all this h3o2 
I didn't need to drink the Gatorade. I didn't need to drink a lot of water because the fruits and vegetables actually provided me with the most essential substance and that's H3O2. So if the last thing I'm going to say, if you guys have ever wondered why people who consume high diets of fruits and vegetables look younger, they have nicer skin, nicer hair, they have more energy, it's because H3O2 is constantly recharging their cells. And this is so important. So my last thing I really want to say to you guys, if you guys really want to take your game and you really want to last throughout a tournament, especially like the P-Town tournament or any of the hot, or if you guys come to Fort Lauderdale and it's really hot and that start consuming these massive amounts of H3O2 and you'll find that your game is a lot different. Miss Raina, what, what would be the one fruit or the one vegetable that you would pick? Oh, you want me to give away all my secrets, huh? <laughs> well, just... Just two, just two, one fruit and uh, one vegetable. Honestly, they're, <laughs> d- 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 comparing fruits and vegetables is like, y- you can't do it because each one has their specific things. And that's why oh. I always incorporated so many, you'd see me eating celery sticks, carrots, like, like you just, so you can't really, but I will say this, the, the two things that I consume the most are apples and bananas together. Because okay. each of All them right. give you 90 minutes of intense energy at once they're digested. So, Ms. Raina, uh, so Ms. the night before a tournament, I'm going to try to put this in the context of the athletes playing the night before. Can you give some tips on what they should be doing and consuming to kind of help them really sustain the next day through play? I'm going to say a word that's going to make you guys cringe. Carbohydrates. <laughs> Because this world, we're taught so many things, and actually uh, uh, medium chain fatty acids too. The two greatest things you should be consuming before tournaments. So your your medium chain fatty acids are your ghee butter, your coconut oil, your olive oil, your salmon has a lot of great medium chain fatty acids. Those are the things that are going to help your heart, help your neurological function, bring down all the pressure, just amps you up. But carbohydrates, we have such a bad rap in this country of carbohydrates you need carbohydrates are your first form of en- energy now i'm not saying go to sal's italian restaurant and load up on lasagna and stuff <laughs> i'm talking about eating rice eating things like white rice jasmine rice things the carbohydrates even fruits and vegetables have carbohydrates in them those are the carbohydrates but you need to eat those carbohydrates because the next day you will have an ample amount of energy because that's the first thing to burn off that was a great question the night mm-hmm. before and then during the competition yeah well, ladies, listen, I think uh, I think this was a great show, and uh, I want to thank you guys very much. I want to thank Michelle Crone, especially, because she really has been a wealth of information, especially for our group from El Salvador, who's going to produce that flag football festival. Thank you, Michelle Crone. Thank you, Miss Raina. Thank you, Miss Kim Wilson. And Absolutely. also to our audience, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love you to join our next show if you'd like to. Just email us, IWFFA at iwffa.com have a great weekend good luck to the university of fort lauderdale for your tryouts for the very first women's flag football team head coach venetia lee good luck and we'll see everyone third thursday of the month 9 p.m eastern on the air with the iwffa 